0: Hello, this is News of the World, the 84th edition, and this is Tim Pridloff speaking to you, and you're probably far away because it's summer holiday, Mm -hmm. and nobody's actually listening to podcasts anymore. Mark, how's the summer in Amsterdam?
1: It's really hot, tropical. The world is changing, as we know, climate changing. We're here documenting it, but here in Amsterdam, everybody's living in a tropical paradise. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, global warming has really high approval ratings over here. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird.
0: Yeah, weather is not not bad here too. Yeah, but no,
1: everybody's listening. Poolside, poolside is where you take your podcasts now. Oh, really? Or lakeside, if you prefer. Oh, (laughs) for Berlin, I
0: I, I missed that. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still locked up in my den. My podcast den.
1: Aren't you in a place where people go swimming nearby at a lake or something? They must all have headphones.
0: I <laughs> I I assume they do, I'm just not part of it. That's that's the problem here. Yeah. So talking about bad preparation <laughs> we thought, yeah, let's do another show, let's do another news of the world because there has been so much great news out yeah. there that we need to talk about. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. The world has not taken a vacation from doing things. That's, that's for sure, as many of you know. So yeah, why not get back to the news? Um, gotta start with the stuff, especially big in the mainstream, right? Uh, even if uh, some of these topics, like we'll talk about Israel and Gaza in a moment, um, you know, they're still going on, so we'll mention them. But I want to focus on some of the, the more recent developments in other parts of the world. But let's go through the big ones in the, in the mass media right now, starting with Airstrikes in Iraq Yeah, here on this program and surely in your local media, you've heard about the Islamic State, um, this this breakaway region of Iraq. We've talked about the Kurds. Well, the U.S. is now conducting airstrikes. They started yesterday in the Islamic State areas of, uh, of Iraq. And specifically, they, they're saying it, uh, the U.S. government is saying to help the Kurdish government, which has been losing territory and been under threat. From the IS as they try to push towards what I understand to be Erbil, traditionally the the, the city, the, the capital of, of what is de facto Kurdistan. So they've been targeting uh, military, of course, always, you know, smart bombs. Here we have these old words again. It's amazing, you know, smart bombs and laser bombs. They're really old technology at this point. And even back when they were new, these names are deceiving because innocent people still do get, uh, of course, hurt and killed. Uh, But here we go again with with smart bombs and that sort of thing. They love using them in Iraq. And, um, you know, there's not going to be any troops on the ground, as the U.S. government will tell the people over and over again. But there is going to be this combined drones and uh, uh, aircraft with people in them dropping bombs on targets to try to stop um, the Islamic State or, or, or ISIS or ISIL, if you prefer, yeah, it's in, in the Levant. Yeah, it's interesting that
0: they, the <laughs> media really stopped naming them ISIS. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't really know why. Maybe just IS is, you know, shorter. <laughs> so, or yeah. maybe nobody believes that they're going to uh, restrict their activities to the... <laughs> grounds ah. of uh, Iraq and, and Syria anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that, that's something that has... Yeah, yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> but this, these these guys are real trouble. I mean, uh, you know, you can yeah. say whatever you want, but but this is probably the worst that, that has happened to the, uh, this region. And we have covered their uh, first activity in Iraq somehow here and then in one of the, yep. our shows. And and really looks like they are just not interested in dealing with any, you know, reason at all. They are just you know spreading their violence and kill everybody, and that's really the problem. And when you mention Abil, which is sort of the next town in danger to fall, um, it's interesting to note that this is not just Kurdish area. It's also that the U.S. has some kind of presence there. There's a bureau, as far as I understand it, and there might be. Um you know um a small group of soldiers there somehow mm-hmm. to predict this uh, area, so i wouldn't say this is the primary reason, but it might be a part of it but it's interesting to note that the u s somehow now has to admit that you know they have done at least two, two uh two errors, <laughs> one after the other, first is going there. In the first <laughs> place, you know, and ruining mm. the, um, the the current order, which was probably not everybody was uh, not a big fan of. But if you compare it to the situation today, it looks really like heaven. Uh, mm. The regime of <laughs> Saddam Hussein, you know, at least it was, you know, it, it's got this what what you call in the political process you call stability.
1: <laughs> yes. you know, stability
0: yeah, stability does is, is probably not a state that everybody is making everybody totally happy, you mm-hmm. know, but you know, you can determine the outcome of activities somehow. It's somehow contained. And in, in a way, most of the people in Iraq um, or the majority of people in Iraq somehow uh, was better off with that situation, although it was bad for many. Yeah. Uh, but now everything so is just, you know, losing ground. Uh, it's, it's a mess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you have a situation, I mean, so many years spent... And what they called training the military, the US and, and allies were training Iraqi military, just like they've been training Afghan military. And the idea is, OK, what's happened has happened. These uh, invading or occupying countries are going to leave and they've left a military military behind that is going to be able to, oh, I don't know, function, defend the borders, maintain some kind of order. I mean, I know the police are for that. They're supposed to be training police, too. Um, but here we have a situation where at least some of this Iraqi military has has lost badly to to the IS or ISIL fighters. And you now have American, of course, American military equipment being used against the Iraqi government, against the Kurdish government. And, you know, that's what... The U.S. is bombing its own equipment. Not that it's about equipment, obviously. But uh, you know what a bizarre world, although that's been happening for a long time in, in this, on this planet. You, you, you give arms to someone, and, and before you know it, they're being aimed right back at you uh, in a different form. Um, one other thing I wanted to add, and it's just one of these details that becomes part of the story. You have a group of people that has never really been in the press, and now they're getting in there. A group of people called the Yazidis. And the Yazidis are uh, one on the list of victims of the the ISIL plan, uh, you know, of wiping out things like the Christian minority and and the the, the what is it the Shiite uh, uh, landmarks, so they've got a whole list of things they hate, right? Yes. As any good crazy government would, and uh, and so now you have the Yazidis getting in the press as a group that is that it is in need of of sort of helping because they've been pushed to whatever part of Iraq uh, out of their homes. And uh, that's one of the groups that's now getting um, food and medical aid uh, uh, dropped over them, right? The bad guys, quote, get bombs, and the uh, uh, victims get uh, food dropped on them. Hopefully, we don't get those two confused. Unfortunately, historically, it has happened. So, um, you know, this is the state of things. It's only the second day with these U.S. uh, airstrikes. I think they're going to continue. They say they're going to get stronger and bigger um, because so far they've been very targeted, and, uh, and yeah, and but this the,
0: will go on. Yeah, the question is really where, where is it going? Because right now they are, of course, talking uh, uh, the U.S. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the U.S. government is talking about like, okay, yeah, we're sort of helping the situation. We're sort of enabling the Kurds to defend themselves. We're also opening channels to help those who are in desperate need right now, especially the. Um, the group, what's the name again? uh, 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 Yazids? Yazidis. Yazidis, they are sort of uh, surrounded by um, IS troops and, you know, can't get anything. But I wanted to point at at these subsequent mistakes that the US has done. First, the Mm -hmm. mistake was going there. The second was Mm -hmm. leaving it completely without any military support, you know, because Obama sort of had to you know, do what he said he's going to do once he's president, you know. Um, Which he did, but again, it was destabilizing the region yet once more, you know. First they made it a total mess, and then they made it even worse. And the question is, what are they going to do now, you know? Is what they are going to do now helping or is this just uh, another escalation point in this this uh, whole saga? I don't know.
1: I, I think if you're, yeah, this is it does get confusing. I mean, look, if you're a fan of the Iraq, uh, uh, the Republic of Iraq, as it is supposed to be right now, supposed to be as a country, then you know they're they're supposed to be helping. But it gets confusing because of course they're 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 trying to help the government in Baghdad, but they're also trying to help the Kurds in the north. These two interests are not necessarily on the same page with each other. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about you know, how the Iraqi government doesn't want Kurdistan breaking away. And uh, so that's where this gets uh, even further confusing. Since I mentioned the Yazidis, I actually looked it up. And it turns out Time Magazine has a, a special on everything you need to know about the Yazidis. And I just thought I'd mention a little sidebar. They're the one of the longest surviving ancient religions or sects in the world. Uh, according to a professor from the London School of Economics, and uh, very little known is known about them, and that's how they prefer it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it says that.
0: Okay, that plan <laughs> failed now.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. Right. Now it's coming out. Well. Anyway. Uh, so. So there's a small update on on what is going to continue to be a very dominant story in the news, um, and. Let's move right to another very dominant story. Um, It probably confuses people in terms of ceasefire, no ceasefire. uh, But at this moment, uh, as we're recording... Gaza Israel there is no ceasefire uh the, the air uh strikes uh this time from the Israeli government are, are continuing and and rockets uh coming back towards Israel are continuing and both sides say pretty much the same thing uh we're not going to do a ceasefire as long as the other side doesn't stop and uh every time they almost have a ce- you know John Kerry insists there should be a ceasefire and it doesn't happen we've been hearing this for what over a week now maybe two weeks, and uh, I don't even have the, the totals in front of me of the dead, but you know that it's, it's in the thousands, um, and and there have been numerous smaller stories coming out about who the victims are, and uh, it's, um, you know, it is sad, among other things. And I, I, I watch this all unfold also through Facebook between my Israeli friends, my Lebanese friends, my Palestinian friends, you know, you could really watch the world of, I don't know, public opinion mixed with experience, uh, just by Facebook, and, and it doesn't leave you any more smarter uh, than you were before. But it, it shows you how divided people are on this whole thing, and emotional, and angry, and rightfully so. Uh, so that's my that's my Gaza update. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Tim.
0: I don't know. There's so many things that go through my mind when I see this because it's so. It's one of the situations in the world, or probably it's like the the primary situation, the one, you know, where it's sort of absolutely impossible to tell who the bad guys are <laughs> right. r- really. Here. I mean, yeah. uh, I'd say Hamas is really in front here, you know, because the way they um, tend to operate, you know, what their real aims are. I mean, it's it's obvious that there's no No victory, you know, that they can actually have and they should know it.
1: Okay. There are articles that come out occasionally uh, from various Middle East press saying, you know, no matter what, because of the amount of deaths, uh, you know, as long as there's any kind of Hamas still standing, this will be a victory for them. I'm not a big fan of these analysis, you know, who's it a victory for? I mean, I think this is a loss for everyone on all sides. Um, I guess that's fairly easy to say, but there, I said it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Too, So I don't know who's going to um, bring out the key for this uh, situation, but it doesn't really look good and doesn't really look as if this is going to happen soon.
1: Yeah, no. And the, the, um, you know, the, the peace broker in all this, uh, it's not John Kerry necessarily, although he, he's been going a lot on behalf of the US government saying we have to have peace, we have to have peace. Everybody, of course, ignores him and, and maybe he doesn't really mean it either. I don't know. But uh, it's uh, Sisi in Egypt has, has been the – and that's tradition in many ways. The leader of Egypt, whoever it is these days, um, tries to have these peace negotiations because he uh, – it's been a he so far um, – is always the bridge, right, between Israel and Palestine. But, but this is having uh, little impact.
0: Yeah, it has a little impact. And I, I – yeah again, I don't really know what the solution is going to be like. But yeah. this is going on and we have to report this and – yeah, yeah, we have reported it now.
1: Right. And now here we come to a third conflict in the world that's been high on the list um, over these past few weeks, especially since uh, July. Uh, the update from Ukraine, a lot of articles this week about how government forces are closing in on Donetsk and Luhansk, And based on the sheer amount of reporting... And there are a lot of people in that area now, uh, besides uh, the locals, of course, that were always there, but now a lot of journalists. The word is, the Ukrainian government is getting closer. The rebels are getting more and more desperate. Many uh, have pointed to key figures that have run off to to escape in Russia and left whoever's uh, in eastern Ukraine to keep fighting. Uh, A couple of bullet points on this whole thing. I've been trying to keep up with the investigation about the, the Malaysia airline crash. And it's very, first of all, it's quite hard to keep up with the investigation. I suppose the OSCE or someone has a website that keeps, this, you know, keeps the updates coming out, but in the press, it's hard to find. But um, several times this week, for entire days, uh, they just can't go do the investigation. I think out of the, what are we at? Maybe seven to eight days that investigators have officially been on the ground, they've only been able to get to the actual site, I think, f- half the days. If that. I think maybe it's less than half the days. And this is... I guess the reason it doesn't get into the press is because what is there to say about it other than this is a shame, right? No. Um, but for me, this is still amazing. Like you cannot conduct an investigation because there is no such thing as a even around the crash site uh, as we once thought there might be a ceasefire area. They, they, it's not happening, so no. this is bizarre. You know, there are investigators, and they most days they just say we can't do our job.
0: Yeah, and they live in in, in Donetsk, and they have like two and a half hour drive daily <laughs> just to get there. Um, um because they have to take the the a difficult route to get quickly into uh ukraine controlled areas to be safe, and then you know, as you said, on the crest side it 's uh, also riddled with fightings and uh, other things
1: yeah um just to keep moving, even though each of these has so much to say about it, we have the new sanctions. This time uh, as a response to the EU sanctions that came from Russia the last few days. And they're targeting what they call you know, so-called Western food imports. I was just reading, actually, Bloomberg, being a financial uh, news reporting site, has a lot on the, the money, right? And who and which countries are impacted. And it was just a long thing on the Baltics. Uh, so Estonia, Lith- Lithuania, Latvia, and Poland as the first victims of not being able to send what is normally like large chunks of their exports in, in cheese and milk and agricultural products in general to Russia, uh, so everybody 's trying to calculate you know what kind of a loss i 've seen American reporters and bloggers claiming that. You know, Putin is starving his own people, which I even tried to argue a little bit. Not that I'm the one who needs to explain Russia to anyone, but I said, you know, he's he's not starving his people uh, because there's still lots of food to go around, not just from uh, Russia, but there's but Belarus is a huge breadbasket for for at least uh, Western Russia, and Russia itself does produce uh, uh, the basics food-wise. Um, so this is not a matter of people going hungry. Uh, but it is a matter of, of course, the cost of food and uh, uh, the, the impact economically on, on all those who, who usually export to uh, to Russia. And that's a lot of Europe. I did read this item also on gas. And, and it's interesting to put some of these things together. First of all, as many people probably know, since July, Ukraine doesn't get gas exports from Russia, right? Um, but Europe does. It goes through Ukraine. Amazingly. The Ukrainian government is now saying, uh, or at least the prime minister who tried to resign. Right. And they refused his resignation. I don't understand that. Um, But uh, he's he's now saying they may halt or at least curb uh, gas passing through. (laughs) That's funny. Gas passing uh, gas passing through Ukraine um so so he could shut down that major pipeline or those pipelines now there are other sources and th- th- we'll link to an article that shows you a short list of three other sources north sea is a major route that i think is just about functioning or will be functioning very soon yes that is one way that uh gas prom and others get their their gas into europe there's a southern route for that where italy is cooperating with russia so um We'll we'll see here in Europe that we're already seeing it, but we'll see more. I think when it comes to gas access and countries panicking and prices going up. Uh, But when I saw that, I was like, "Wow! They even though they don't get gas, gas goes through the Ukraine to the rest of Europe. Like, what a what a strange world we live in!" Like,
0: (laughs) this is the craziness about the situation in general. You know, here you have two parts of the world that sort of. Got the act together in the last twenty years to somehow cooperate, and that yeah. somehow depended uh, on each other. Uh, Europe needs the gas, or at least is still very dependent on on the gas uh, right now, especially for heating. Um, and Russia, of course, needs Europe just for getting money cheaply on the market to finance their uh, economy, and this is all all going. Also, high tech stuff. Um, for the uh, oil industry is probably not only, but mm. mainly from Europe, and uh, so they will have trouble upgrading their equipment. So these these are not small topics for for Russia. But somehow Putin is just walking forward and saying like, yeah, fuck you, we're you know we we are not depending on you. Uh, mm. I'm not so sure if you look at the the, the the press articles about this nobody seems to be so sure you can get away with it because even if there's enough food food prices will definitely rise and inflation mm. is going up anyway and mm-hmm. the 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 outlook for uh, the companies for the next years is bleak so yeah. um it's not you know i th- i think they, they they are under real pressure and somehow yeah. it might be that even they have sort of underestimated the um the EU, in terms of you know, getting the act together and 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 uh, act mm. like a single entity, which they somehow did. You know, that's not something that usually happens in Europe. You know, mm. they Russia knows EU as being you know torn between <laughs> yeah. many different routes, but in this situation, it sort of uh, together. comes forwards. Yeah? yeah, it's also interesting to see. Uh, what this might mean for the transition towards uh, renewable energy in, in, in Europe, because somehow relying on the gas imports from Russia is one of those things where everybody said, like, yeah, it's still you know enough <laughs> for mm-hmm. the next 10, 20 years to come, you know we don't really have to hurry up. But now <laughs> this becomes a, a new topic too. you know yeah. speed it up just by um, using less energy. So this is a very, very, very complicated conflict. And the recent reports of Russia amassing uh, soldiers on the border as well. You haven't really uh, touched on this uh, yet, mm-hmm. I guess. It's on the list, yeah. You know, it's on the list. You know, <laughs> this, this is the next scary part. Because what if Russia is actually invading? What if Russia is actually entering the, yeah. this area with their troops? I mean, at yeah. least officially. You
1: know? right. Right. I, I still, yeah, and in the end, it's all very confusing, so I, whatever I think, it doesn't matter, but, um, I don't know what it means. Uh, in, in the near future for all these troops that are apparently amassing on the border. I mean, NATO says it, so it's not just some crazy... Because uh, <laughs> the Ukrainian government, I, I find, depending on the official, they have some crazy theories sometimes. So I try not to listen to the Ukrainian government. Um, but yeah, NATO said, you know, 20,000 troops uh, on the border. I did read a story that seems official. Uh, again, I think it was in Bloomberg, um, which was about a convoy of Russian military equipment that was coming in to um, to the Luhansk area, or, or Donetsk area, and the Ukrainian military had gotten there in their, in their progress these last few days. And they, they, through diplomatic channels, they insisted that this column of whatever it was be turned back. And the, the Russian officials said, we have no idea what you're talking about, and if there is such a convoy, we will turn it around. And they did. Uh, again, I, I take these as a sign that the Russian government... Why would they officially turn back a convoy? Well, you know, I, don't, I don't think they want to invade eastern Ukraine. And, and I know the public doesn't want it either. As much as this whole theory that the world is against us and, and Crimea is ours, okay, that flew, that, is, that was widely accepted. But I don't think people really want this region. Um, and I, I think that matters, but of course that's not the last thing that matters because Putin still does more or less what he wants. He has a plan in his mind um so I, I don't think there's an invasion coming but i can't explain these bizarre ag- aggression and then non-aggression uh, i mean unless to explain it as this is just a game threaten back down threaten back down and that, in that sense all the comparisons to the cold war are quite accurate because it was a time of threaten and then back down um So it's but it's really sad. And I just saw this long story on Crimea. It's an interesting time to do stories on Crimea. You know, lots of people from Russia, I heard this a lot in Moscow, want to go as always on vacation. Some people feel it's kind of their duty since they know that the economy is going to be bad down there, let's go and spend our money and have our vacation time in, uh, in Crimea. Others say, for many government employees, they have to go there because they're not allowed to leave Russia because of security reasons. Their, their employers are basically saying, if like, if you're a police officer or if you're a civil servant, here are your vacation choices. And, and on that list is like Sochi and, uh, and the Crimea. And so people choose Crimea. Um, but Crimea, meanwhile, is struggling economically you know the the russian tourists going are not enough um they just through the sanctions that the eu put on russia one of these low-cost airlines is somehow not allowed to go to crimea though they had to basically close i forget what they're called but you've heard about them um Mm -hmm. they were this low-cost russian vacation airliner they've gone out of business that was a major source for crimea and meanwhile crimea is taking in refugees from eastern ukraine uh, so the Russian government operating in Crimea is taking in uh, thousands and thousands of refugees. It's The whole thing is such a disaster. And in a way, it reminds me of what we were just saying about Iraq. Not that any of us want to go back to Saddam Hussein, but you've got to wonder in, a, in a less than a year how many people are going to say, Old Ukraine, was that so bad? Was that... Did we, what have we done? What are we? I mean, then again, what did they do? Many of these people didn't cause this to happen. You know, they're just sort of the the sheep that have to move around as people drop bombs. And oh, all right. Yeah, it just happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's move to a harder one here. This is this is health, world health. You've heard about it if you've been looking at newspapers this week. Ebola. And you and I, Tim, I don't think we've been talking much Ebola on this program yet. Um, well, no, but it's time it uh, mm. N- Nigeria declared a state of emergency yesterday and that is a massive country declaring a state of emergency um, and, and many in the World Health Organization and especially Doctors Without Borders are saying this is good and this is what uh, nations in West Africa should be doing because it should be a priority and because the amount of deaths has now climbed, uh, I forget what the official number is but it's above 900 and this now involves Sierra Leone Liberia uh, Nigeria, as I mentioned, and there's probably one or two more countries that, are, that have, this is touched on, um, it's spreading. In both Liberia and Sierra Leone, uh, this week we saw the what they call the blockade of cities to keep outsiders from coming in. This is some of their attempts to keep Ebola from spreading. From what I understand, Tim, it spreads via actual contact, right? So it's not like it's airborne. That would be extremely difficult. Um, but still contact with people. The problem here, one of the reasons is burial practices, right? So if someone with Ebola dies, there's a tradition in some countries and some cultures of cleaning the body. That yeah. in itself will spread Ebola. So that's one thing that they've got to address with people. The hard part, what many workers from the World Health Organization are saying, is that people don't have a lot of trust for the health services. And I guess when you see the photos of people wearing, you know, what look like medical space suits this could scare people even more so are they listening to to what they need to do not just that something bad is going on uh but this is uh obviously this is making headlines all over the world and uh yeah ebola is is back in a big way in the world and uh, I'm, I'm reading reports in the US. A lot of people were upset because I guess one Ebola victim was flown to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in uh, in Georgia. And many people said, oh, how could you bring someone with Ebola to our country? You know, and they made this special interior of a plane. But, um, you know, this is... These kind of outbreaks, of course, are global now. You can't even pretend that uh, it's just going to sit in in, uh, Sierra Leone and not travel. Now, many airlines are stopping their... uh, This is the summer of airlines announcing we're not going places, whether it's for war or now disease. Uh, Many airlines have canceled going to to West Africa right now until this crisis uh, ends.
0: Yeah, I mean... uh the, the the case you mentioned of the two U.S. citizens who were um, infected with Ebola, they were actually uh, doctors who were working there trying to oh. help. And somehow they also caught the virus. And they were all close to dying. Um, I just read it um, about this. There was a man and a woman. And the man was, you know, he was... Already in in the final stage, his uh, body was covered with um, uh, red... Everything was a total mess and he couldn't Mm. breathe anymore and so on. And they flew in a new uh, medicine that is still in the process of being developed and which they didn't know it would work, uh, uh, which they have never ever uh, used on humans before. And they gave him an ejection, and it worked. Uh, it okay. worked okay. until the point that he was you know he could breathe again, it was sort of okay and was capable of you know talking to his wife on the telephone and in that stage that 's when they brought him back so it 's not that they flew out somebody who was like in a terminal disease uh, moment. And it's not yet clear if this is going to solve the problem for him or it's just a temporary solution. But I know that the um, – what's what's the um, institute in the U.S. that is dealing with uh, allowing C- medicine?
1: S- oh, the FDA. Yeah.
0: FDA, yeah. They have now made an exemption, so this new – uh, serum is being brought into this area, and I don't know if this is going to, you know, help. But it has at least helped. But the the general problem is traffic, tourism, you know, globalism has sort of led to the situation where this fast exchange of people and other goods, you know, is sort of spreading everything very, very, very quickly. And that's why this Ebola crisis is so problematic for, not only for West Africa, but the rest of the world too.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, there was an Onion article, not that we should ever mention Onion articles, but it, the headline, if I could, could I read it to you, <laughs> it was experts, Ebola vaccine, at least 50 white people away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. It's, it's, the disease is still at least 50 white people away from, the vaccine for the disease is 50 white people away from de- being developed. But we're okay. well on our way. Oh, anyway, you'd have to see it. Uh, never mind. So uh, that's the story as, as I've seen it so far. Um, but the question is, you know, how, how far does this go? And will these countries declare states of emergency and, and ask for the help when they need it? Um, that part is still not very clear to me if, if they will or won't. Uh, but to see that Nigeria would do it is is a pretty big deal. I mean, that is a, a massive country with a lot of resources on its own. Uh, so now calling for international help, well, that that could be a good step and people will follow. All right, let's go somewhere else. Now, a story that we missed here on uh, on News of the World, although we have always come back to it over the years when the uh, Malaysia airliner was shot down, it it sort of became so loud that other stories were uh, pushed to the side, at least here. And what happened around the same week that that the plane was down, uh, another ship of migrants capsized on its way to, uh, well, Europe, but they always end up in Lampedusa. Is that considered Italy or is that Malta? Well, in the Mediterranean, right? It's Italy. Yeah. And, uh, And so... The headline at that time, and and it's confirmed, was 181 people died when a boat capsized uh, on its way to Lampedusa. And it's been a summer, in fact, of many more migrants, maybe than any past year, uh, trying to make their way to Europe. Um, It's estimated uh, at this point, even not just in southern Europe, in Calais, the very famous port uh, where a lot of trucks and uh, and I guess the train goes through there too, the channel, goes to the UK, there are actually... uh, over a thousand people, uh, refugees, uh, undocumented, waiting to try and find a way to get into the UK. Uh, and I read this week, um, uh, you know, moving from the story of boat people to people trying to get on trucks and trains, the government of Calais in, in France is asking for help because they don't have enough staff to uh, help or even try to secure uh, transportation uh, because people are trying to grab onto... If you've ever taken the Eurostar, you've seen the fences around the train so that people can't grab onto the bottom, often ending up in their own uh, death or injury. And uh, trucks, it's the same thing. People are trying to jump into trucks, jump under trucks. Uh, And so now the UK is sending police into Calais that are going to be stationed there. Uh, But this crisis is massive in, in Europe, and you know it's amazing because it takes place in these, these little, well, they're not little, but these places where we don't see, right? And whether it's an island uh, off of Italy or it's a, a city in northern France uh, where a thousand or so people from Sudan, Eritrea, Afghanistan are camped in a forest or living in abandoned buildings. I mean, this is reality here in Europe right now, and it's perhaps one of the most underreported stories, uh, and uh, politically what to do, you know, how to handle this. Um, so many people wanting to get into the UK, trying to find a way. Um, I mean, I'm tempted to say, why don't we help Calais develop more economically? Maybe people can stay in Calais, but, you know, can Calais the city even handle uh, this many people settling there? So it's such uh, a crisis in Europe to understand how to uh, deal with refugees and, and, you know, first, and also not allow people to, to die On on boats and ships, and trying to get in and under cars. I mean, this is so many layers to this issue, but it's been a very bad uh, summer.
0: Help. Helping Calais is probably not going to help. You know, It's going to help with the result of uh, this crisis. But the, the main problem is the lack of help in these areas where the people are coming from. I mean, mm, it's yeah. uh, not always uh, easily done because uh, we have this continued crisis in Syria, in uh, Libya now Libya, as well yeah, with yeah. new fighting, uh, which we haven't really touched on too as far as I know. Uh, it's just so much happening um, in this Middle East, Northern African area, and also further down below. I mean, we've been talking about the situation in Mali and uh, Sudan, yep. we've touched uh, in many places. Eritrea is a um, continuous pain in the ass. So, all these <laughs> areas are sort of sending out people who just look for, you know, some situation that is at least some. A bit better than what what they're experiencing at their uh, home area, and and that's yeah. pretty pretty bad. So that's why they are uh, spending so much money getting uh, into boats. You know where people are making a lot of money off as well. Yeah. So this is yeah. uh, another problem. Yeah. Um, I think what's lacking here is that that Europe doesn't really. Uh, face the situation as it is and doesn't really come up with uh, a plan how to improve these areas. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easily approved, <laughs> improved. Mm-hmm. We've, we've mm-hmm. seen this uh, repeatedly in, in, in many of the examples also, including those areas we've been already talking about in this program. Um, but I don't think there's any way around this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just amazing how how much this can swell, you know, when you're talking about thousands of people. And then, even just in terms of health, right? In these places, on this on this island of Lampedusa, I mean, there must be thousands of stories, um, horrible stories, and, and the health conditions that they're living in. You know, the, the, these services from the EU—I forget what they're called, but the uh, we'll call them border patrol for lack of a better word. You know, they have to handle health needs, shelter. And the you know more and more people arriving it's it's so difficult the even even this broken system that they've created for housing people temporarily in this non status right they and they're not officially uh here but they're not officially back there either and uh you know we're talking about Ebola for example, you know that a crisis like that could emerge in such a situation or or other diseases as well so it's it's just from from one bad story or many bad stories. They just mutate into even worse when you arrive in so-called Europe. Um, yeah, so I'm, I always try to keep an eye out, and uh, and we'll link to this article about what a summer it's been. Uh, let's go to a little history. I saw this uh, Cambodia in the news a few times uh, this week because two former Khmer Rouge leaders, uh, one known as, I'll go by the nickname, Brother Number 2, uh... Officially Nuan Che, he was 88. He is 88 years old, and his co-defendant Q Samphan, who doesn't have a nickname that I see, uh, they were found guilty of uh, crimes against humanity uh, during the Khmer Rouge regime. They were uh, they oversaw a lot of the uh, uh, deaths. Of course, 1.7 million people killed uh, during that regime. They, of course, claim. Uh, To have no knowledge or or at least not be guilty, they say, Vietnamese troops when they came. They're the ones who did all the killing. Uh, But these are some of the few, despite their old age at this point, some of the few people from the Khmer Rouge that have actually been sentenced. And it's a very big deal, uh, not just for Cambodia, but I think for international law, the idea that this can happen. Um, They still face another trial. (laughs) Hard to believe, but they still face another trial for genocide. But the current sentencing is a life sentence anyway, uh, but still, there'll be another trial. Uh, The press is also pointing out uh, it's unlikely that any more Khmer Rouge figures will stand trial, which I I didn't realize because there are still plenty of other people who had leadership positions, but the government in Cambodia, uh, of course, their prime minister who's been around for a very long time, Hun Sen, he was involved with Khmer Rouge, although, you know, lower ranks. Um, he's slowing things down. He doesn't want to see this continue, according to all reports. Um, And uh, this is just one of those moments in history, you know, two more figures uh, finally uh, get uh, officially um, judged. And at the same time, a diary, a very rare, uh, for a time where people were having everything taken from them and, you know, forget writing and paper, but a diary has surfaced from a victim. Uh, was a school teacher before he was taken by the Khmer Rouge and sent on these long marches and working for, for a couple of years with no food or very little food. I read the diary this morning. I'll link to it. Um, it is every bit as bad as you would expect, uh, but he describes in detail what he eats what he 's given to eat what he 's forced to do, and life uh, under the Khmer rouge and, and it 's uh, it's pretty sad of course um, so so this is the, the the word coming out of Cambodia this week uh, some some history still being of course resolved and, and dealt with
0: well at least it 's dealt with. I was always sort of Tiny bit surprised that this was actually happening, that the societies actually you know managed to get around these crimes because there are so many countries where this didn 't even happen you know yeah although there's a continuous history of of these kind of crimes
1: yeah yeah it is it is a rare case in the world and and a lot of people who are you know supporters of the idea of international law and uh, the, you know they look at this as well maybe slow, maybe late, but it it happened you know the I mean, I'm talking about the trial and the judgment and you know evidence being laid out and everything so in that sense I don't think it's an overstatement to call this a you know progress for international law anyway, or at least you know it exists proof that it exists or can exist huh. yeah all right so from a little history, uh, well, present history. Uh, let's go to a little business because I think this is significant and and uh, eventually touches on everything. There was a big business move uh, last week. Uh, General Electric, the big U.S. Uh, I can't even call them. A, they're a multinational corporation that does a whole list of things from coffee machines to nuclear weapons. Um, they bought, well, they were trying to get more, but they were able to buy alstom the big french yeah what do we call them uh <laughs> energy slash transportation they make a they make the tgv for example yes um, a lot of the power grid in france is run by alstom um they, yeah i guess their france is siemens right siemens germany as alstom is to france
0: yeah it's, it's technology industry in general yeah. big stuff so, g-
1: GE has bought successfully, so it seems, their energy unit. So this is going to concern some aspects of, uh, let's see, steam, not steam, gas, uh, power. uh, Let's see, what is their big uh, power generation, basically, anything related to that. GE will now be the owner of. Um, Alstom and the French government made this deal so that, uh, Alstom still exists because it's such an important, uh, not just symbol, but a literal, uh, employer in France. So that Alstom will still exist. A lot of those trains and all that will still be made by Alstom. But when it comes to energy, those things will now be GE. And this is a, a huge, uh, deal to, you know, GE was already enormous and, uh, now they have a big operation in Europe. I already heard from some of my friends in Portugal who work for Alstom. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out if they're going to keep their jobs or not, which because that's always a risk when your company gets bought by such a large multinational. I told them to be very afraid. <laughs> uh, but they say, <laughs> so far, like all big acquisitions, GE promises to be uh, to not just fire everybody and to be fair and so forth. But I always think this is what you say the first year and then you you cut them the second year. Um, apparently, this is a big move because what GE wanted and Alstom has is gas and steam turbine, uh, a big part of the gas and steam turbine business. And this kind of connects in some ways to our discussion of where energy and the focus on energy in Europe is going. Um, you know, especially when you talk about gas and steam turbines, I don't know, become more and more important then if, if we're not looking to Russia and or maybe yeah, I mean, in cooperation it's, it's, with Russia. As far as I understand it is,
0: is uh, it's also a general technology that you need in general, totally independent mm-hmm. or at least some, somewhat independent of what the origin of the, the energy is. You know, uh, There's mm-hmm. always this process where you have to turn it into into uh, electricity, and that's where mm-hmm. the turbines come in.
1: So yeah, so, yeah,
0: it's a it's an important market. Siemens wanted to have it. I don't really know why uh, the hmm. uh, French government initially rejected the uh, American offer and then wasn't really happy uh, about the offer that Siemens did as well and then supported General Electric because, you know, France, America... Never been the best relationship when it comes to right. these things. Uh, it's also a very strong foothold for an American company on the European market. You know, w- you yeah. would, I, I would have ex- my expectation at least was that somehow the uh, maybe even the German and the the French government is getting the act together, sort of like mm-hmm. keep it European. They yeah. didn't do that. I don't know why. I don't understand enough of these issues to <laughs> be able to say anything about this.
1: Yeah. It's, it's amazing how big corporations can get, and I know how dumb that sounds, but uh, like I just saw that, what was it, uh, Fox wanted to buy Time Warner in the US. I mean, at some point we arrive in this moment in history where companies are, of course, global and huge and doing so many different things, and then they go up to another company that is global and huge and say... Yeah, we're going to we're going to have you now or at least a piece of you. Uh, So, you know, this Fox and uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Time Warner isn't happening at the moment. But but yeah, GE buys awesome. I mean, this is massive. You know, the amount of countries that are impacted by this move. It's a long list, (laughs) even though we always start with France and the U.S. because that's, you know, the main powers behind these two. Uh, So I thought I would mention that because it, it will probably play a role in a lot of things going on in the next few years.
0: Yeah, and if you if you um, put the economies of certain countries uh, against the um, the money that certain companies are actually mm. wielding, you know, we will find Apple within the top top 100 of countries. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, yeah. uh, quite a few countries on this planet who are not moving as much mo- money and uh, as much power as a single company that's just basically a few few people, you know. Yeah. At least compared to countries.
1: Oh. True, true. Uh, so, yeah, so now moving to the last part of our program. This week we do have a news source. I mentioned them before, so let's officially add them. Uh, I checked they weren't on the list. Uh, Bloomberg. No, not the mayor of New York, the former mayor of New York, although he is behind them. Uh, But the news service and, you know, initially, I wouldn't have them as a news source because uh, they're so focused on money and business. And, you know, your house could be on fire, and they would have an article about how much the contents cost. Um, And uh, I would usually be looking for the details of the people inside. Uh, But I have to give some credit, of course, to Bloomberg, because they don't just describe the numbers, although they are very meticulous with that. But, you know, they've come to become this, uh, yeah, business focused, but that is behind so many of the news stories that we look at. So uh, just in terms of Ukraine this week, a lot of the articles that I found as, as I was searching for any news source uh, with, with um, extensive coverage, Bloomberg had quite a lot about the numbers, about how this impacts people, markets, everything. Uh, so I recommend them and we're adding them to the list. Bloomberg.com, of course, a huge empire of financial news and, and every kind of news.
0: That looks like a like a mix of economy and and, and politics, which is not surprising given the relation stronger relationship these two areas have uh, and, and in that sense there's probably no real um, they, they might have a tendency to report more on economy and have certain sections that go into much more detail than probably c n n does but in the end they're dealing with the same situations and delivering um, yeah updates to this and uh, the sort of on the, on the same page as many other big news organizations yeah news so, as such doesn't really qualify as a business anymore you really have to go broader
1: yeah you have to have some edge like we have our edge <laughs> <laughs> we're an edgy <laughs> news program <laughs> so,
0: True or niche
1: yeah say controversial yeah. things read <laughs> from the onion even when it's not very appropriate. <laughs> appropriate <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> Uh, yeah. so yeah that about does it for this week's edition of news and we're going on a little news vacation right Tim what are, you, what are we talking one week or two weeks
0: uh, yeah I, at least there will be a break of a week and we'll see how this turns out
1: alright I'm heading uh, down to the motherland uh, to hang out in Portugal and pick fruit uh, but I'll have my microphone handy and uh, we will surely be back uh, as the summer uh, gets older uh, back with more news of course yes that's it yeah. alright thanks for listening everyone and of course comments you know the website news of the world dot com and links to all the news so you know you know and on, thanks for all the flatters and all the uh, feedback alright see you next goodbye. time goodbye